I don't know if you know this, but um, Barb and I have been estranged from each other for about two weeks. That's because we're fighting, but I went to Mexico, and then she went to Houston. So we were like, and um, one of the things that uh, I tell all of our our, uh, premarital counseling people that is, in order for your marriage relationship to work, your marriage, your spouse needs to be number two, not number one. God needs to be number one. You need to seek it. So even though the dog and I did not do well with Barb being gone, it was probably a, it was probably a good thing because I need to make sure that God is my number one and not Barb. And um, I've learned to be able to differentiate between the Holy Spirit and Barb's voice. That has always it hasn't always been the case. I remember distinctly the time I'd been married maybe two years, and that little voice inside my head that said you should probably not do that stupid thing went from my mom's voice to Barb's voice, and I went, "Wow, I guess I am married." Yeah. But now there are times when I hear that and I go, okay, that's God. That's not the little voice inside my head. That's, that's Barb telling me. So, needless to say, the house is still intact. It is not burned down. Though there were a couple close calls this week. I didn't mention that to you, honey. I'm sorry. But anyway. <clears throat> but it's still standing and everything's good. And so, um, today when we dive into Psalm 115... It, psalm 115 is a little like this, that it's a psalm that is reminding everyone that God is number one, okay? So, there, there was some point to my introduction there. So, this week you read, hopefully, in your book or in your Bible, or different psalms, and the psalms were kind of combined in... Zion Psalms, Songs of Zion, or Liturgy. And so most of these that you read this week were talking about Zion. And now if you didn't know what Zion is, Zion is is the uh, fortress within Israel that the Jebusites had and David captured and became the city of David. That is, that is what's known as Zion. And it's an endearing thing. And so some of these Psalms that you read this week is like, Wait, are they worshiping God? Or are they worshiping Zion? I think most people would say that the reason why Zion is lifted up so much is because of who resides there. And during that time, that's where um, Solomon Temple, the temple was there. And so the insinuation is that Zion is blessed, Zion is awesome because of who lives there. Now, Psalm 115 has nothing to do with Zion. I mean, there's some there's some aspects of it, but it's in liturgy here. Psalm 115. That's the reason why it's grouped this week. Psalm 115 was because Psalm 115 traditionally is sung during Passover. Can you imagine? And and Sean mentioned this today in Matthew. It was just like, okay, Holy Spirit, I love it when you do this. He's talking about in, in, in Matthew when Jesus is, is doing the Passover with his disciples. And he probably sang Psalm 115 
during this time. And so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind when, when, we, when we go through Psalm 115. And so Psalm 115, I'm going to divide it into three sections. Now, this is, this is me doing it. This is my somewhat learned uh, breaking out of the scriptures of exegesis here. This isn't from anybody else. And so I could be all wet, but I don't think so. And I can tell you that Psalm 115 from the study the last few weeks has becoming one of my more favorite psalms. Because it hits me right where I am at all times. So I'm not going to read all the way through at once. I know. What? Mark always reads all the way through. No, we're going we're gonna to read and we're going to stop. We're going to read and then we're going to stop and then we're going to read and then we're going to take a couple more verses somewhere else. Sound good? That's my, that's my plan of action. I'm, I'm telling you before I do it. So if I go off on a rabbit trail, maybe that little voice inside my head will say, where are you going, Mark? Where are you going? Okay, so let's do this. Psalm 115, here we go. So the three sections which I, I think it could be is this. Psalm 115, 1 through 3, which is Yahweh is the true God. And the reason why it's Yahweh is true God is because you see the capital L, the capital O, capital R, capital D. This is signaling to you that this is the name of God. This is the name. This, is, this isn't Lord as in, hey, Lord like God, uh, Elohim. It's, or, you know, Adonai. It's the name and the Jewish scribes did not want to have God's actual name profane, so they never mentioned it. So that's why in the English you see Lord with just a regular lowercase. Then you have uppercase talking about God, and then you have all capital letters. That's referring to the name Yahweh. Okay, so that's Psalm 115, 1 through 3. Then Psalm 115, 4 through 8 is the comparison of other gods and that they're worthless. And then Psalm 115, 9 through 18 is the responsibilities that followers of God or people chosen by God to be His have responsibilities. And they talk about it. So, here we go. Let's, let's, let's read Psalm 115, 1 through 3. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. That's the New International Version. I'd, I'd like to get a, just a little bit more flavor with it. So I, from the New King James Version, I'll read this to you. I didn't... It won't be up on the screen, but here it is for the New, New King James Version. Not unto, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Listen, it has been said 
that every man has a God. Every man does. He will make something his God. He will make something that is the master passion of his life. It's the driving force of his life. It's the ideals that control his actions and the philosophy that governs his decisions. That's what your God is. Now, if you say, well, that's not, that's not God. Well, what is it? What is it that drives your passions? What is it that affects the decisions that you make? Because that's what your God is. And this is exactly what it, the psalmist is telling us. It's not about me. It's about you, God. It's about your name. It's not about us. It's about you. It's not about us. It's about you. He, he's making the point about God. So then the natural question, the natural question, well, who's God? You talk about the nations or the Gentiles. Where's your God? Now, I don't know if you have been watching. I encourage you to watch um, The Chosen. It's a group that Trinidad and Sherian turned me on to. And it's an amazing section. But there is a, there is a uh, I think it's in the second season, where they, they, they go back to Jacob building a well. And he's, he's digging the well. And he's, he's, there's nowhere, there's supposed to be any water, but he's digging there. His, his neighbor comes by. And his neighbor goes, so uh, you're digging here, there's not going to be any water. And he goes, oh, my God told me to dig here. He goes, where, where is your God? Because I've seen other gods. I've seen them. Where is your God? And then, you know, and Jacob is like telling him, well, he's, he's everywhere. He's up in heaven. He created everything. And he goes, oh, so you can't see him. How convenient. You know, he's just kind of being, you know, sort of jaded about it. And, and, and then all of a sudden there's water and then that moves on. The story moves on. But that's the idea that many Gentiles, and it infuriates the Jews. It's always infuriating the Jews. Where is your God? Where is your God? We know where the temples of Baal are. We know where. Where is your God? You can see the temple. You can see these different gods. And those that follow Yahweh say, well, he's everywhere. He created everything. You can't see him because no one can be allowed to see him or they will die. And they're like, you know, something. Really? How convenient is that? You know, that sort of, that sort of feel to it. And so... The psalmist is telling him, he says, our God is in heaven, he's got a residence, and he does whatever he pleases, which is very significant. He does whatever he pleases, because most gods were sort of compelled to do what someone asked them. Either they would take a sacrifice, you have to do what I told you to do. The psalmist is telling you, the God that I serve, I'm not in control of. He does whatever he pleases. And he's right. A hundred percent of the time. I, I thought it was absolutely amazing that the worship team did... Um, he is good all the time. 
Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. I will not sing all of it. But anyway, I had to look over at Sam because there was a point in time when that song was, play, was played here at Heights on the worship team every single week. And finally, I had to put the kibosh as it. Stop this song. It's every week. I don't want to hear that song for a while. And then I didn't. And I, it's been since today I heard it. I'm like, oh, I love this song. <laughs> Is it going to, what? You know? And, it, and it, that's sort of what Psalm 115 is, is. God is good. And he's around. And you can trust him. And he's got it all under control. Listen, I don't want a, a God that has to serve me. I want a God that I can't control. That has got everything under control. And that maybe I don't know everything about it. So, let's go on to uh, Psalm 115, 4 through 8, which talk about the other gods. And the psalmist just doesn't skip a beat. He's like, our God is God that does whatever he pleases. And then he goes right in, but their idols, or their gods, are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Putting trust in an idol, in something that is man-made, is a very dangerous thing. Now, I've obviously read this numerous times, but I'm getting to a point in time in my life, I have eyes, but I don't necessarily see very well. I have ears, I hear diddly. And this resonates with me. Have you, have you noticed that when people make, when they were making idols, when they were doing this, they made the idols to look like man. They made these idols. They constructed them. They shaped them. They sculptured them. They formed them with precious metals to make them to look like me. I think that's something to think about. Do we really want to have a God that acts like us? Because you know what? Sometimes I'm kind of a jerk. Can I have an amen? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, sometimes I'm not in the best moods. Sometimes I want that guy that cut me off to wreck in his car. Now, that's not right. That's not, but I can be pretty vindictive and pretty angry. You know what? Can I tell you? God is not vindictive. He's judge and he judges with truth. But he does everything for people's good. Now, sometimes, if I was God, listen, I wouldn't want any disasters to happen in, on the planet. I wouldn't want anybody to die from a hurricane. I wouldn't want a building in Miami to come crumbling down. I mean, 
I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't allow that to happen if I was God. But you know what? I'm not God. Maybe something good that can come out of some of these disasters. If I was God, I would let no one ever get fired. But you know what? Sometimes there's people that they need to get fired. Amen. <laughs> was that me that I need to get fired? Oh, anyway. So, the, the, the point is, God sees all. He knows all. He allows things to happen for the good of people. And we've got to believe that. And interesting it says that those that follow these idols become just like them. Jesus says it a little bit different when he says things. Remember, he's, he's telling it in parables. He speaks in parables to the crowds all, during all of his ministry. And a lot of times, his disciples, after he finishes, uh, Jesus... <clears throat> I mean, I know we're holy because we're hanging out with you, but what did that mean? And, and, and Jesus says, you know, it's just like Isaiah. Those that have eyes still don't see. Those that have knowledge still don't perceive. The, these ideas and the fact that if you're not following the God of the universe, the God of heaven, who happens to be named Yahweh, you're going to become what you have as a God. So, let's just take a couple examples here. So, during David's time, I remember a sermon years ago by Chuck Smith. He used to listen to uh, 107, what's that, 107.1? 88.3? One of, who does all the, the preaching? Was that 88.3? Whatever. I was listening on the radio, I was listening to Chuck Smith, and he said, it was talking about um, that during this time in Psalm 115, there were three major gods outside of the follow of Yahweh. The first one was Baal. And he says that Baal was to deify the intellect, those that were smart, or to make you smarter, to become more knowledgeable about things. And so, people lifted knowledge higher than God. And we still have people that today. They say, well, I'm not sure that I believe all that. You know, they, they become agnostic, right? They have that, that well, I'm not sure if that's true. You mean the Bible? You yeah, I'm, a, I'm agnostic. Yeah, that's a Greek word, agnostic. Do you know what the Latin word for agnostic is? Ignoramus. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's like, I, I'm choosing to, to not know anything so that I'm not held accountable, basically. So that, that's the, the god of Molech, and I mean god of Baal. Then there was the god of Molech, which was like the god of pleasure, and this was... You make everything about pleasing yourself, okay? And so, I don't know about you, but I've got a conf- confession here. I like Twinkies. I, I know, that's not fashionable, but I, I, I love Twinkies. And so, I will go and I will eat a package of Twinkies. But the next time I come, 
It takes two packages of Twinkies to satisfy, and it they just builds on itself. And it's the same way with the pleasure principle, is that something that pleases you now is not enough. You need to do more. You need to get more adventurous and need crazy stuff to challenge you to experience the pleasure that you had doing something else. A good example of this is, okay, Christmas used, used to be all about gifts for me. I was, oh, I can't wait till the gifts. And I would make sure I, everyone knew what I wanted for Christmas. And my parents, bless their hearts, did their best to make sure I got that thing, whatever it was. And, I mean, the weeks coming up, I knew that on the 25th of December, I was going to get this, and my whole world was going to be great. By Christmas afternoon, I was done with that toy. I was tired of it. I played with it enough. Now, what's next? And that's sort of what is going on when you have the idea of... of um, of the idea of making pleasure the God because it just keeps getting, it's not enough, it's not enough. It's, and you have to keep being challenged. You get into deeper and deeper stuff. And obviously, Molech, you end up killing your own kids to sacrifice to him to, to receive more pleasure, to receive is heinous and it's awful. And the Greeks and the Romans had the hedonistic. It's all about pleasure. And that we, we see that even today. People do things that they never thought they would do. When they're just, just, they make pleasure their God. The last one was just the God of money or mammon. This was something that it was more about power and, and, the, and the, what wealth had that you were able to have influence or more influence over people. The only trouble is you never have enough money. You never have enough power. And you want more. You, you see you have, you're gathering wealth. You've got more than enough. And then you see someone else who has more than you. And then you want to have more than them. And it just perpetuates itself. And it just continues on and on. And the people that have a lot of wealth are trying to hold on to it. And then you ultimately become a slave yourself to the wealth, to the money. It's not serving you, you're serving it. So those, those are the things that if you do not make Yahweh your God, if you don't make the God of heaven your God, then you're going to make disastrous choices in your life. And this is exactly what Psalm 115 is saying. So, um, let's go to Psalm 115, 9 through 18. And this is, keep in your mind, these are the responsibilities of those that follow and fear Yahweh. Verse 9, all you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield.
I, I hope that Jeremy and I have beat you to death enough times that when you hear something three times in a row, there is an emphasis. So it is repeated three times. Trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Okay, and I think it's really interesting, the designation. So first we have Israel. Hey, Israel, trust in the Lord, right? Okay, who was Israel? Israel was a nation that God chose to be a blessing to the whole world. He chose them to be significant and being called his own so that the rest of the world might be blessed. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. I choose you. You are not the biggest nation, not the best nation. I just chose you because you have a job. And then even, even so in the whole tribes of Israel, there was one tribe who got no inheritance land. Those were the Levites. And under the Levites... Moses and Aaron were part of that lineage. Okay? So, you can see all over the Torah, it says, the Levites have no inheritance in the land. God is their inheritance. So, they were specifically chosen to bring about relationship of Yahweh and his people. They were the priests. They were the ones that did all the work around the temple, or they were supposed to. When, they, when there was somebody other than that, they usually died. See Uzzah with David. But those, that whole idea was that God chose them specifically for a purpose. So you have Israel chosen specifically for a purpose. You have the house of Aaron, or the Levites, chosen for a specific purpose. And this is those who fear the Lord... Those who fear the Lord have been chosen to do a purpose. I don't know about you, but I'm not an Israelite. I'm not a Jew. I have no, I've done the DNA test. I have no Jew in me. Okay? So that means I'm not a Levite either. But I am one who fears God. I've chosen to put myself under God's jurisdiction. God's rule. And so I have a responsibility to do something, and that's to trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord is easy said. It's sometimes it's not so easy to do. Because of the things you see things happen, you go, God, have you got this right? You want me to fix it for you or whatever? Because through your eyes, through my limited intellect and knowledge, I... I've missed it. I, I don't see what could be good from this. Now, as I get older, I see, I look back at stuff that I was really upset at God that it happened. But I look back and I go, oh, that's why that happened. Okay, great. God, you got this. <laughs> so it's actually making it easier to trust in the Lord. But trusting the Lord means that there's, there's feet that you've got to do. If God's going, you've you got to step out on the ledge here. You've got to step on the ledge. I'm like, man, that ledge, has, I can fall. But if I trust the Lord and say, okay, you say to do it, 
I'm going to do it. Even if I fall, I'm still trusting you. I'm still going to trust you. Okay, so that, that first responsibility is to trust the Lord. And this, then we start and we continue on in verse 12. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron and he will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Can I, can I encourage you guys that if you trust, if you call, if you fear the Lord, I'll use the actual, if you fear the Lord, if he is your God, you're in Psalm 115. He's talking to you. A thousand years ago, psalmist wrote this, and he was talking about you. Does that help you bring a connection to the Word of God? That the Word of God is actually for you. It's not just for Israelites. It's not just for Levites. It's for all who fear the Lord. And it says, he will bless those. He will bless those. I don't know about you, but I could use some more blessings. And sometimes he blesses me with things that are hard. Sometimes he blesses me with things that I don't deserve. But he does it because he is all about those he has chosen. And he's chosen you. You think you're here in this room by mistake? I just kind of wandered in. Oh, hey. No. Do you think it was a mistake that someone told you about Jesus? Because I don't believe it. I believe everywhere and everyone who's sitting in this room right now is here for, and God knew it was going to happen. God knew he, that you'd be here. He knew that you'd hear this sermon. He knew that you'd laugh at me up here. See, no one's laughing. That's good. All right. Oh, all right. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. What? If we go all the way back to Genesis... And God makes the heavens and the earth. As soon as Adam names every animal and sees that he needs a helper, they get Eve and he gives them a job. And he is to subdue the earth. It's his stewardship of the planet. And this is exactly what Psalm 115 is saying. Is, Guys, you've got something to do. And so we need to be working. We need to be doing in what's in line with Scripture. But we need to be serving. We need to be good stewards of everything. Because I'll tell you what, another great pastor that I heard a sermon years ago, you may have heard it, Chuck Swindoll, his sermon, God owns it all. He owns it all. There's nothing he doesn't own. 
There's nothing that he didn't create. There's nothing that isn't his domain. But he has given us the stewardship to take what we have a certain area, sphere of influence, children, property, whatever. Maybe big, maybe small, but you've still got something to do. So you trust in the Lord, you allow him to bless you, and then you bless others in following. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, is verse 17. Those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord. It just went from high and mighty up over here. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about the Israelites. We're going to talk about the house of Aaron. We're going to talk about those who fear the Lord in third person. And then all this says, it is we who extol the Lord. Both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And that praise the Lord is a transliteration of hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Another job for us to do is praise the Lord. Regardless of our circumstances. Got a couple of verses for you here. While man makes his God like himself, God is seeking to make us like himself. Whoa. And how do I know that? I mean, honestly, this whole Psalm 115, it reminds me of, okay, do you remember the time in Joshua when they've all moved into the land and he's getting ready to retire or be done or whatever? And he says, okay, we've got, we, this is the land that God's given us. This is what we're doing. Choose now who you will serve. If it's, if it's, if it's the, the gods of the nations, the gods of the Amorites whom you replaced, okay, then go for it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what Psalm 15 is saying. You know what? We are the people of God and we need to praise God. We need to trust God. We need to serve God. God. And so I'm reading Joshua 24, 15. But if you, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the uh, Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Notice it says we will serve the Lord, not the Lord will serve us. Which is what the other gods were supposed to do. They're supposed to serve the person. No, we're going to serve God. Can I tell you? It's so much better to serve others than to be served. You know, if, if you are living a life right now where you are feeling distant from God, where you are complaining about all of your problems in your life, Go help somebody else. I mean, go serve somebody else. Go help somebody else with their problems. Can I tell you? There are times I'm in my office and I'm feeling sorry for myself. Oh, this is terrible. This is bad. And then I'll have an opportunity to go serve somebody else. You know what? And then I go, you know what? I have no problems. 
I'm sitting here feeling sorry for myself, and this person is blank. I mean, it's just, we need to be about serving God by serving others. And we need to. In fact, we think that's so important. That's one of our mission statements, is to love serving God. Let me give you the last verse in the, in, the, in the New Testament. And it's from the classic Romans 8. Romans 8 says this. 829. For whom he foreknew, this is the King James Version, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If we choose to follow Yahweh, and the way Yahweh is, is that you are to fall under the tutelage, the saviorship of Jesus Christ, his son. Who gained all authority because he gave up himself and paid the price of sin that all of us have committed. And he bore all that sin on the cross so that all sin has been paid for. All we have to do is but accept that free gift of paying the debt. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's about serving Yahweh. That's about serving Jesus Christ. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will teach us to conform to be like the God with which we serve. Not some stinking idol, not our own, our own self, but like the creator of the universe. I think that's a win-win. Won't be easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But God has called us to do the hard work and to do the tough choices of following God and trusting in Him. That's where I get Psalm 115. Won't you stand? Hope this was encouraging to you. I hope that you... Man, these Psalms are amazing. They really are. And they just keep giving and giving and giving. I don't know how many times I've read Psalm 115. The last two weeks have been just like an eye-opener. It's been amazing. Father God, we come before you. We thank you and praise you for all that you do. You are an amazing God, and we do praise you. We worship you, and we put our own strong, self-willed stubbornness under you. And we say, God, be our God. No one else. Nothing else. Please be our God and help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's in that name I pray. Amen.